Okay. All right, so the last few months we have been conducting a study of the Gospel of John. And as it's been mentioned each week, as I'm continuing to do, of course, we, uh, we understand John is one of the four Gospels, discussing the life of Jesus, the life of Christ, what he did on earth while he was here. And John, of course, was one of his uh, disciples, one of his followers, one of the apostles, one of, one of the inner circle. In fact, we know him from the Gospel of John as the, the one that Jesus loved. He refers to himself that way, right? And we also know that John was written for a specific reason. And as we've done each week, I want to continue to do that. Turn over to John chapter 20, and let's read again, starting in verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You know, we talked about the fact that a couple weeks ago that unless you believe, unless you have faith, the scriptures tend to be insufficient, right? But we know the scriptures are all sufficient. And John tells us right here, this is written. These have been written. There's more that could be written, but they wrote down everything we need to have life in Jesus' name. And we're going to refer to that just a little bit later on in our study today. But keep that in mind. We, we have it all, folks. And don't let anybody tell you any different. We have what we need to know God, to know the Lord, to see His love and what He did for us. Last week we talked a little bit about the two kinds of food that Jesus can provide. Remember, we read about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which we've all known, most of us, I guess, since we were very, very young, right? Where the 5,000 were following, wanting to hear what he had to say, and yet they were hungry, and Jesus saw that. And all they had was a little lad had two fish and five barley loaves, and they fed 5,000. Actually, it was a lot more than that. 5,000 men, we know at least. So God, Jesus created, did a miracle. He fed the people, and they had 12 baskets full left over before it was done. So he can feed us physically, right? He can provide for us in our need as a physical person. But that food only sustains us for a little while, right? It's just a short time, and then, and then we're hungry again, right? I mean, I, I, had, I ate good on New Year's Day, but when I got up Saturday morning, I was hungry again, right? Yeah. So I had to eat. I had to continue to eat to sustain life. I didn't have to eat. I shouldn't say that. But I did because I was hungry. It only lasts for a little while. And then Jesus talked about something else, right? Talked about the fact that he is the bread of life. The kind of bread that sustains us eternally. And that if we would eat of that bread, drink of his blood, we can have eternal life. We don't have to continue to eat over and over and over. Of course, I don't mean we don't continue in, in his love, continue in study, continue in service. I don't mean that. But he says, if you eat of the bread that I provide, you will be raised up on the last day. What a wonderful promise. What a, what a wonderful way to understand. And yet, we also read that there were many that did not understand what he was talking about. 
And because of that, they, they, they thought he was, was going to provide them food, remember? They're, they're following him because he's feeding them. And he knew that. He's giving them food. He's doing, he's doing a miracle to feed them. But then he starts talking about eating of the, the bread of his bread of life, drinking of his blood, and they're going, whoa, what is he talking about? Because they didn't truly have faith, right? They didn't truly understand, and so they quit following him. Does that ever happen today? Yeah. It happens all the time, doesn't it? We have those today who partake in the great love of the Father, the great love of the Lord, partake in that salvation. They get a taste, right? They get a taste of the bread, the taste of his blood. But then they don't understand or the worries of this world take over and they quit following happens all the time. Well, when Jesus talked about the bread of life, obviously it troubled some folks, and he used very figurative language. We see that. In fact, it sounded kind of cannibalistic, didn't it? It sounded kind of weird if you didn't truly understand what he was talking about. Let's go back and read a little bit of it. John chapter 6, open up your Bibles. And let's read about it again a little bit here. Beginning in uh, verse 51. <clears throat> Actually, let's start in verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So here he is talking about that, talking about the fact that you've got to eat of his bread, eat of, drink of his blood. And it was difficult for some to understand. Some were offended by it, right? They just didn't fully get it. Those without faith. Let's read on. Verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who could understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they, who they were who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. All right. So we have many disciples are wondering, what are you talking about? Questioning him. And Jesus says, I come from the Father. I can only, I can only provide you what has been given me from the Father. Through me, I am the bread of life. You see who the Father is through me. Why do you wonder? And then he goes on to ask, 
verse 67. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Now can you imagine the twelve sitting there with him? And he's asking them this. But Simon Peter, of course, jumps right in, right? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. So here we have the disciples of the inner circle. Or not the inner circle, the twelve, I guess you could say. And Jesus sees those other disciples that are leaving. And many, he had many at this time, right? He's got a lot of folks that are following him around. Because he's doing some, he's, he's doing some signs. He's doing some amazing stuff. And he's also feeding people. So they want to know what's going on. But then he starts talking about these weird things, right, that they don't understand. And I'm sure even the 12, well, he says they're wondering a little bit too, and he knows that. Yet they, the 12, have seen what he's been doing, all of it. They've heard him talking. They've They've understood what he's had to say, and they're saying, you're the Christ. Where else would we go? Yet Jesus knows there's a little bit of doubt among them. Peter's response serves as the text of our lesson today. To whom shall we go? And he acknowledges that Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. There is no other. And he also confesses that twelve's faith in him is the creator, the Christ, the son of the living God. Basically, Peter says, there's nothing else. We see it now. We see who you are. We know you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yet, do you remember what happens at the end of the story? When Jesus is arrested, he's taken in. What does Peter do? Do you remember? He denies him, right? He denies him at the end and says, I don't know this man. Because his faith wasn't complete yet. Yeah, he, he's seeing this. He's, he, he's saying this. But it's not complete yet, is it? Until he sees that resurrection. Until he sees that this truly is God. And he says it, right? I mean, I mean it's, it's, hard to de- it's hard to deny that he, he believes it. Yet even still, there's that little grain of doubt. Well, <clears throat> this is a question that we would do well to ask ourselves today, right? For, the, for these answers are our true purpose or our mission in life, to find the words of eternal life, to whom should we go? That's a good question, is it not? There's many places we could turn, right? Many do, but are they the right ones? Um, many turn to the crowd, right? Many decide what to do based on the majority, don't they? I mean, most of you have children. I, I don't, some of the younger guys, not yet. But you were a child. Ever heard your child say, I want to go here, and you say no? And you say, but everybody else is doing it. Or maybe you've said that, right? Yeah. And what did mom say? Well, if everybody told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it? Yeah. Many things get done because that's what everybody else is doing, right? Turn over to the book of Matthew quick. Let's read a couple of scriptures from there. 
Matthew chapter 7. And let's look at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many that go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Perhaps following the crowd is not always the best way to go, is it? Have you ever been out, maybe running some errands? Maybe you and your spouse, and you decide to go, you want to get something to eat? You ever done that? And you say, well, where do you want to go? Well, I don't care. Where do you want to go? Well, let's go over to such a place. Well, I, no, I don't like that place. Let's go over here. No, I don't, that's too expensive. You keep going and going, and then finally somebody says, well, you know, the group always goes over to this place. Well, okay, let's go over there. You ever heard the old Yogi Bear axiom? What was it? Uh, Nobody goes to that place anymore because it's too crowded. Huh? Wait a minute. Anyways, we tend to do things because that's what other people are doing, right? Well, if that many people are doing it, they've got to be right, don't they? Considering the words of Jesus, if you follow the majority in Noah's day, what would, you have, what would have happened? You would have perished in flood, right? In Joshua's day, if you'd have followed the majority, what would have happened? You would have died in the wilderness. It's not always majority rule, right? It's not always the majority has the right answer. Did you ever get graded on a bell curve in school? Yeah. Were you ever on the higher end of that bell curve? Yeah, you got, you, got, you got it pretty good, didn't you? Because you usually got raised. But if you were in the middle somewhere, maybe you had a better grade, but you got pushed back because you were on the bell curve. That ain't right. But because of the majority, what everybody else did, you got a certain grade. That don't seem right, does it? Hmm. How about pronouncements from human wisdom? Many feel that human wisdom can lead us in the way that we should go, right? Especially by educated professors. Well, they, that's, he's a professor. He's an expert. He, he knows everything. He's got to be right. How about on talk shows? You ever watch talk shows and they got these experts on there that know everything? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If they're not Christians, I doubt they have the truth. They may know a few things, but they don't have the truth. Have you ever watched a summary of a jury trial or something where they have experts go up on the stand, right, and say, well, such and such, you know, they're this way because they're guilty because they did this and this and this. And then, and then the defense brings in their expert, and he says just the opposite. Who's right? You know? A lot of times that comes down to just whoever sounds the most convincing, right? Because you don't know. Many people follow people because they seem smart. But God's thoughts and ways are not our ways our own. In fact, God has chosen to save man in a rather peculiar way, has he not? I love this passage. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians. I want you to read this with me. This is a wonderful passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
<clears throat> Beginning of verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the message of the cross, folks. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. For man's wisdom, they don't know God. That's what he's saying. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. To, to man, it's a foolish message. It's silly. For Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. What? To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. What a passage of scripture. Paul is simply saying, what's he saying? He's saying, man's wisdom is a joke. <laughs> I mean, come on. What's the world think about Christianity these days? It's a joke. Yeah. Christians are despised by everybody in the world. Even in America. Imagine that. But it's true. God's foolishness, the silly plan of salvation that he provided, is foolishness to man. And God delighted in doing it. Wow. So, if you're trying to get your truth, if you're trying to figure out where to go from man's wisdom, I got news for you. Stop! <laughs> get in the Word. You're going to go nowhere if you do that. How about the proclamation of preachers? It's common for people to trust their preachers, aren't it? isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they, they, they reason, and I'm sure you've done that here, right? Well, they've got to know what they're talking about their preacher. Right? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read something there. Beginning in verse uh, 13. Actually, verse 12. But what I do, I will also to continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles... Deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And, them, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. 
Therefore, it is no great thing if these ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. There's false teachers in the world, folks. There's fake preachers preaching about things for personal gain, preaching about false doctrine, and Jesus warned them about that. Turn over to Matthew chapter 15. Let's see what he said. 15, in verse, uh, verse 12. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my fa heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. <clears throat> and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Following the preachers is not necessarily the best way to go. You need to be in the Word. You need to be making sure what they're saying is true. I used to work downtown uh, in the Bell South Tower near the Fox Theater. And there was a place a block away, a center for blind, the blind, it helped people walk. And believe it or not, I actually saw one day a blind man leading a blind man. I actually saw that. He was walking down the sidewalk with a stick. Another guy was holding his arm, walking with him. And they made it fine down to the end of the block and turned, and I said, wow, the blind really do leave the blind. It was interesting. And then one day I was walking up the street, and I saw a blind man walking through the side of a bus. You can't trust if you can't see, right? You got to know who is it coming from. God, right? You got to know the Word. How about... The dictates of your conscience. You ever heard the phrase, let your conscience be your guide? Oh yeah, we've heard that a lot, isn't it? And really, you know, that's not a bad, that's not a bad phrase, is it? It's not a bad motto. Let your conscience be your guide. I guess you're implying that if you have a good conscience, you're going to do the right thing, right? Or is it calibrated right? Yes, sir. Kurt says that. But, you know, not everybody has a good conscience, right? Consciences can become seared, can't they? Yeah. Ever heard that one? Turn over to Acts 23. Let's just read something about that. Something that Paul had to do with. Acts 23 and verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience. Before God until this day. What's Paul saying there? My conscience has been clear. I have lived according to my conscience. It's been good until this day. But wait a minute. Turn over to chapter 26. Starting in verse uh, 9. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even in foreign cities. Paul's conscience was clear. What? He was killing Christians. So, you know what? Maybe your conscience shouldn't always be your guide. 
When he was putting him in prison, his conscience was clean. I would imagine he had no trouble sleeping at night. But he was corrected, was he not? He was blinded, actually. So he could see the truth. So he could change his conscience. Because his conscience prior to that was bad. It was seared. So it's not always the best thing to let your conscience be your guide. Job, when he said what? Job, Job 38. Just read it real quick. <clears throat> then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel my words without knowledge? I will question you and you shall answer me. Where are you when I the foundations of there? Yeah. Yeah, Jim was quoting, uh, reading from Job when, when he's questioning God a little bit and God's saying, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Exactly. He had to, be, he had to have the truth revealed to him. He had to, he had to understand God. He didn't know. Just like us. We've got to know. We've got to know from the Word. Kurt's saying we have to adjust to God's will, God's plan, where, whatever time we're born. And that's very true, very true. What about feelings? What about the direction of our feelings? Do you ever decide to do something just because it felt right? Do you ever decide to go somewhere because oh, I just felt like doing it? Have you ever heard someone murdering someone and giving the excuse that I just felt like doing it. Well, there was a song back when I was a teenager, I Don't Like Mondays. Remember, anybody remember that song? And you know what the story was behind that song? It was written about some girl in, I don't know, California who one day just started shooting at people at a school. It was a Monday. And when they came and said, why did you do that? She said, I don't like Mondays. Huh? Just because we feel a certain way don't mean it's right. Just because it felt right doesn't mean it's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a verse about that, right? Proverbs 14. I was going to read that next. There is a way which seems right, as Jim says, but it's evil, and it's the way, in the end, it's the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12. How about Proverbs 28, 26? He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Jeremiah said in 10, this is in your outline by the way, 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So, we can't follow our own passions, our own whims, our own ways to know where to go. We've got to know the truth, know his word. Well, as men, as people who live in this time, as Peter confessed, who do we go to? 
Well, isn't it obvious? We just read about it in John chapter 6, right? Peter confessed he is the Christ, the creator of the world, the son of the living God. He is the one who provides the food which endures to everlasting life, which we've just been studying about the last few weeks. He said to the woman at the well, I will provide you living water. You give me water, I'll provide you living water. They fed the 5,000 with bread and fish, and he says, I am the bread of life. Eat of my bread, drink of my blood, and I will raise you up on the last day. Turn over to John chapter 14. You all know this verse, but let's, let's, let's read it anyway. And remember this verse. Because this is a verse that needs to be told to people. When you're working, when you're out about, you have friends, right, that, that, that you, I don't know, maybe you get into a discussion about religion, right? Maybe that happens. And maybe they say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But they don't go to church. They don't practice that you know of. Or they just say, well, you know, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. I, I, I believe when I die, I'll, I'll be in heaven. But they don't really know what it is, what that means, because they're good. John 14, 6 is a very good verse to go to. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty plain and simple, isn't it? Just being good ain't going to get you there. And if you don't understand that, it might be a good time to start thinking about it. You got to know Him. You got to have faith. You got to believe these scriptures have everything you need to know. And then you got to start doing something about it. Obeying Him, becoming a Christian, serving in the kingdom. All those things. That's all part of it. Yeah, it ain't, ain't going to be easy, that's for sure. But that's the only way to get to the Father. It's the only way to get to heaven. He showed us many things. He showed us uh, through many signs. Verse 36 of chapter 5 of John. Through the miracles and ultimately... He's able to give us, give his disciples reasons to believe in him. Uh, We have all these eyewitnesses of it. Can't be refuted. Look back at verse 27 of chapter 6. He says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on on him that confirms it that confirms that he is the way the truth and the life God has set a seal on him God has sent him God has provided he does nothing except what the father has given him therefore he is the bread of life therefore he is the one that we need to go to well how do we do that how do we go to him Well, first of all, we have the apostles, don't we? The apostles, the ones who 
went on to spread his word, the ones who wanted to talk about the gospel, the good news, to preach to every creature. Turn over to chapter 16 there. And let's read a passage on that. Chapter 16, verse uh, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What's he talking about there? He's telling his disciples that he's going to send the Spirit. When he goes away, the Spirit will come upon them, and they will be able to teach and preach and become authoritarian spokesmen, authoritarian teachers for Christ, who will guide us in all truth. So we have the apostles, the things that they have written, the things that we have know about from the Word. They've received all that things that they need pertaining to life and godliness. And they did not shun to proclaim the whole counsel of God, Acts 20. So we can go to the apostles in the book. And, of course, the question is, how do we do that since they no longer live in the world? The New Testament, we have that, right? Ephesians 3. In fact, let's just read that. Turn over to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. Let's just begin at the beginning. Verse 1. For the reason I, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Um, we must view the words as the commandments of God. We talked about that last week and the week before. Scripture is all sufficient. We have the words of God, and we need to hold fast to what they teach. You need to be reading it. You need to be ingesting it. John 14, 6 is a good verse to remember, right? You need to be ready and willing to make a defense for your faith. The words of the apostles are preserved in the writings, and they can lead us to the way that we should go, right? So who should we go to? Well, the answer is obviously Jesus, right? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He alone has the words of eternal life. And where will you find him? Not in the voices of current preachers, modern theologians not movie makers you ever seen a film about the Bible lately is it accurate 
There was one a few years ago, it was a Noah film, a film about Noah and the flood, you remember that? And there were pirates in it. Well, what? I mean, you can't put your faith in what these people say, right? You've got to be careful about it. The words of the apostles are true. They were led by the Spirit. They are eyewitnesses to Jesus. They saw what He did. They saw what He said, heard what He said. John 1 says He was the Word. He was there in the beginning. And then John 1.14 says He became flesh, lived among them. They were first-hand eyewitnesses of the Lord. Led by the Spirit, have given us all we need for life and godliness. And we also know that all Scripture inspired through the Spirit of God. That's where we need to go. <clears throat> Don't let the voices of this world, the things you hear in this world, deter you from that. I don't care if the president says it. I don't care if the judges say it, some judge says it. That don't mean it's true. I mean, I certainly ain't going to believe a politician anymore. Never. I mean, all these ads we've been seeing on TV, you know 99.9% .9 of that's false. Well, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> Don't take people's word for it. Be in the word. Be praying, and please be praying for this country, for this world, for, this, for your families, for your life. We have a new year. We can start again. There's going to be problems. There's going to be troubles. But we have the creator of the universe to, stand, to lean on. We have the God, the God of love, who sent his son. And all we got to do is believe and obey. Wow, what a wonderful promise. What a wonderful, comforting thing to know and to put in practice, right? All right, our time is up. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.